It's easy for the church to get off track. There are so many good things we could be doing. We will naturally be drawn to the things we can do best, those things which come easiest, things that excite us or we enjoy most. But Jesus has given us one specific mission. It's not ours, it's His, and we are invited to join Him in it. This is Mercy For You with Nick Braunschneider. Nick is the pastor of Church of the Apostles in Fairfax, Virginia. To learn more about our church, go to churchoftheapostles.org. This day is holy to the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you for your word. It is life. It is light. And we need to hear from you. So would you open our hearts and our minds that we might receive what you have for us. Lord, we want to know you more. We want to love you in a deeper way. We want to live in your presence and learn all that that means. And we want to glorify your name. So send your spirit among us that we might be your holy people set apart for your holy purposes. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So what we're going to do, I, I had two messages for today uh, planned. And it's a good thing, actually, that the second one, you won't hear the second one, because who knows what, what, what's going to happen in the next week or so and how that might change what I uh, initially planned on sharing with you. You know, it, it might take a different form by next week. Uh, but what I want to do this morning is basically lay out the biblical foundations for mission. So it's more theory today. And then next week, talk about the very practical elements of that. How do we live that out specifically here as, as a church in Fairfax? So uh, we're going to talk about the theory, but it's not going to be hopefully dull and boring. This is really important stuff, so I want you to track with me. We're going to be talking, or I'm going to be talking from the gospel passage this morning. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to that place. You know, it's, it's easy for a church, any church, to get off track. It's so easy for it to happen. There are so many good things that we could be doing. A million different things. If I was to take a poll this morning, uh, imagine, pretend that your vestry ballot, and to be clear, this is not on your vestry ballot, but just pretend with me that on your vestry ballot at the very bottom was this question, what should we be doing as a church? How would you respond, I wonder? Imagine if everybody responded and submitted those answers. I think we would have a lot of good ones, a lot of good ideas. As a church, uh, so far this year in 2020, we've been spending most of our time we're just reflecting on the gospel, essentially, just marinating in the gospel message, this announcement that God has done everything for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is the right place to start. It is right for us to be filled to overflowing with the good news. It's, it's the correct place for us to begin. In fact, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, I delivered to you, Corinthian church, as of first importance, this is at the very top of the list, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That means it was planned. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel. And if we are nothing else, 
We are recipients of good news. We are recipients of this message. We are, we are beneficiaries of the message, of this announcement of what Christ has done for us. The gospel of Jesus is of first importance, so it's right that we start there. And we've taken basically a quarter of the year just looking at the gospel from different angles. But as we look ahead to 2020 and, and even beyond, as we consider the grace of God that has come to us and how he has planted us here at 11717 Lee Highway, and as he's given us this building, as we consider these things, the question on everybody's mind, including my own, is what should we be doing? We need to be doing something, right? And like I said, we're going to get there. But for this week, I want us to think about the biblical foundations for the mission that God has given us. Understand this. If it's left to us, we will naturally be drawn to the things that we can do best. Almost without exception. If it's left to us to establish what the mission is, we're going to be drifting in that direction. Before I moved to Northern Virginia, uh, I helped a church in Orlando for two years that during that entire time was without a pastor. Didn't have a pastor. And they called themselves the Caring Church. That wasn't the actual name of the church, just to be clear, but that's how they referred to themselves. We are the Caring Church. It was in big letters. It was in bold font. It was actually in quotation marks. On the bulletin every week, the Caring Church. And they were. They were, that's the thing. They were the most wonderful, sweetest people. And like so many churches in America, their heyday was in the 50s and the 60s. That's when they were bursting at the seams. And then, since then, they've been in steady decline. And now, uh, on a good Sunday, maybe 100, probably not quite 100 people in attendance over two services. And though I, I don't know what led them to adopt that, that name for themselves, that phrase, uh, I don't know why they described themselves that way. I never actually asked them. I can imagine it, rev it revolved around this idea, this conversation. Sitting at a table, maybe it was the vestry, saying, what do we do best? What do we do best? Let's emphasize that. Let's play to our strengths. That makes logical sense, right? If you're a small, struggling church, play to your strengths. While it's no doubt a good thing to be a caring church, absolutely have to be. When it comes to the work of the church in the world, that is not enough. It's not enough. It's not a high enough aim. It's not a worthy enough goal to settle for those things that we can do well. The things that come easiest to us, what excites us the most, those things that we enjoy the best. If we, if we gravitate towards those things, we're actually in dangerous ground. Because the church belongs to Jesus. It is his. It is not ours. It was purchased by him with his own blood. So Jesus determines what our purpose is. Not us. That means that we're not free to create something new or different. 
The mission of the church is God's mission for us. And God himself is the sender. And he invites us to join him in his mission. To be clear, his mission. That he is already engaged in all around the world. He is the first mover. He is the one that has already gone in front of his church. He is the one who is active at work around the globe. We get to join him in that. But see, we tend to get it backwards. I know I, I do. How many times have we prayed, God, please join me in what I am doing. Please join me in what I am doing here. It feels that way a lot of the time, doesn't it? Like, I'm working hard for God. We're working hard for God, but He doesn't seem to be helping. <laughs> for some reason, we're, we're like, we're on our own. And we, and we fall into this thinking that, that we've got to twist His arm with our pleading to get Him to show up. You know what I'm talking about. Is that how it's meant to be? I don't think so. The basis of our faith is the missional heart of God. The problem is not that he's aloof, that he is somehow unwilling. The problem is, when it comes to God's mission, Jesus says the laborers are few. That is the problem. You've maybe experienced this. Uh, if you've ever had a supervisory role, a managerial role, you've, you've experienced this. Uh, somebody who's working for you, you say, I need you to make these calls. I need you to send these emails. I need you to set these appointments. I need you to accomplish these things by this deadline. And you feel like everything's clear, and then you come back, and those things haven't been done. But the supply closet's been organized. The office furniture has been has been rearranged, reconfigured. I, I can remember, it was probably 12, 13 years ago at this point, I worked, I was actually telling our vestry this uh, last Tuesday. I worked for, a, I was bivocational pastor, uh, worked for a lawn company in Florida. And I was hired as a salesperson. And I was not a good salesperson, still am not a good salesperson. I, I am a soft sell, like I will... You might be interested in this, but you're probably not, so I won't take up any more of your time. That's not the mindset that you need to have as a salesperson. Okay, so I struggled with that. I struggled with that. But I found all sorts of other things to do to keep myself busy. I cleaned out my work truck. I had my uniform nice and ironed. I could find all sorts of things to do except the door-to-door -door selling that the job Required, So I became a lawn technician instead and actually pushed the fertilizer on, on the grass, on the lawns, instead of trying to sell that. But the point is this. We're pulled towards the things that we can do well, that, that are easier for us. And there's a, as a church, there are a million things that we could be doing. Good things. But the problem is often... It's, it's not, that, we're not that we aren't working, it's that we're not working on the right things. So we get off track. So what does Jesus himself say to us this morning? These familiar words, right? At the end of Matthew's gospel, 
One mission. We have one mission. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And I am with you always to the end of the age. There's one mission. And it's not chosen by us. It's given to us. Jesus says, go. That's the call. To go. That is essential. That is an essential part of our fulfilling God's mission. Is going. I was thinking about this this week. It is inherent in our name. Have you thought about this? You probably have. You've been here longer than I have. But I just thought about this this past week. Church of the Apostles. What does it mean? Church. Ecclesia. The called out ones. The called out ones. Apostle. Someone who is sent to others with a message. Could we have a better name to describe God's mission for us? We don't need a mission statement. We can just say our mission statement is we're Church of the Apostles. I mean, it's right there. We are literally the called out ones who are sent to others with a message. That is our name. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. A disciple, you know, is a learner. A disciple is a, is a follower. We typically think of a disciple as... A, or when we think of disciples, we tend to think of knowledge of the, of the head. You know, what, what, does, what does a person need to know? And then we think of hands. What do they need to do? So our discipleship product, what we're producing, are people who know a lot of stuff. They've been to studies. They've been to trainings. They've been to all sorts of things. They're learners, and that's a wonderful thing. That's part of what it means to be a disciple. We think of, of disciples as being people who know a lot of stuff and then people who do a lot of stuff. So a disciple is someone who volunteers, right? Someone who leads groups. Someone who attends meetings. So they're learners and they're servers. They're head and hands. That's not bad. It's essential. But being a disciple is fundamentally a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Who the person is on the inside. You can know the stuff. You can do the stuff. But if you're not seeking God with your heart, you're not a disciple. And that might be your story this morning. Maybe God is revealing to you for the first time. That, that's me. I know the stuff. I do lots of stuff. But my heart is far from God. So when we think of discipleship, when we think of a disciple, it has to, we have to have a holistic vision for the entire person. One that considers the heart, not just the mind and the body. So a disciple, I think scripture lays out that a disciple is one who is word filled, filled with the word of God. That means they are exposed to and they are engaging with God's word on a consistent basis. Word filled. But not only that, spirit-filled, prayerful, obedient, dependent on the Lord. 
Word-filled, spirit-filled, in community. In community. We don't grow in isolation. That might become more challenging for us. As we hear more and more of social distancing and, and limits on public gatherings, this is going to change the way we think about church. Maybe in the short term, possibly in the long term. But we typically don't grow in isolation, so we have to be creative. We grow in the context of relationships, in the sharing and the caring of relationships, and the challenging, and the sinning against, and being sinned against, and the forgiving. That is how we grow. God says it's not good for us to be alone. We have to be word-filled people. We have to be spirit-filled people. We have to be in community. That means we're a part of a local church. Not just on Sundays. But really committed to that body. The coronavirus is going to change the way we do church. It just is. But you know what? I, I really, I can, I can look you in the eye and I can tell you this this morning. That is not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing. Because God is going to use it not to isolate us, but he's going to use this thing to push us out. To make us agile. To make us creative. God has a way of scattering his people. It's amazing. He does. It could be through persecution. It can be through sickness. He has a way of scattering his people so that they could be the church in the world. We're going to have incredible opportunities in the days to come to serve people in ways that we never even dreamt of. But we have to be ready. Again, that going part is essential. We have to be ready for action. A disciple is someone who's word-filled, spirit-filled, in community, and finally participating in the mission of God, fulfilling the Great Commission, proclaiming the gospel, calling other people to follow Jesus. How do we make disciples here at Church of the Apostles? There's lots of different ways that you could sort of lay out a pathway. Here's one that I think is simple that we can latch onto. It's, it's sticky. In other words, um, we make disciples by growing together around tables. You know, part of what makes us Anglican is that we gather around the table. What we believe is that it all starts here. It starts on the first day of the week. In the morning of the first day of the week, we gather together around Jesus' table. This is where it begins. He calls us together. He speaks to us. He feeds us. And then he sends us out with his blessing. This is where it all begins. Discipleship begins here. It begins at Jesus' table. But from there, then we gather during the week around someone else's table. That means that we're pursuing community, not just with one another, but with our neighbors. We're taking the risk of entering into someone else's world, and that's scary. It's scary. But then it culminates at our table. We have the courage to invite other people into our world. I find that to be the most difficult. I can enter into someone else's world, but I find it more difficult to allow people to enter into my world. So you see, it's Jesus' table, someone else's table, my table. It's, it's not a cycle. It's actually a wheel that drives us forward. 
both individually and as a church. You see, this is Jesus' mission to us, to make disciples. But what does he say next? Of all nations. We have a responsibility here to bring the gospel to all nations. Not just abroad, but here. It's amazing. A few years ago, uh, my family and I went out to Denver, Colorado, and I did a residency at a church there. And uh, it was actually in Highlands Ranch. About 85% white people in the Highlands Ranch area. And that was reflected in the church, in the congregation. Okay? But what about here? What about here in Fairfax? Caucasians are about 55%. 55% of our demographics. And, and yet, look around. We have a responsibility to make disciples of all nations. And we can do that in different ways, but the point is that Jesus' gospel is for every person. And Jesus says, you go, you go to everyone, and you baptize them. You bring them into the faith and you immerse them into the Jesus life. Yes, infants. Three babies in January that we baptized. There's one of them right there. <laughs> and we celebrate that. Two, two more on the way. Right? We have the Burgess baby and the Kleins. And we celebrate that. Let me tell you, this is the best evangelism strategy. <laughs> it absolutely is. And I'm going to tell you something. Other religions understand this. Okay? It is the best evangelism strategy. But Jesus doesn't just tell us to baptize infants. He says, you go. And you make followers of me from all the nations, of all ages. It's never too late. It's never too late to give yourself to Jesus Christ. And I long to see this in our church. I long to see our God add to our number as adults trust in Jesus for the first time. This is the passion of my life. I want to see this more than you know. In fact, we were praying before the service and somebody in our, in our prayer group said, the real virus is sin. The real virus is sin and it leads to eternal separation with God. If we grow to a thousand people and we don't see conversions, then we are not doing what we've been called to do. And I'm here at this church because my heart longs to see lost sons and daughters come home to their Heavenly Father. Nothing less. Nothing less than that. We can't stop. We can't rest. We can't deviate from the target no matter what. Our personal preferences don't get in the way. They must not get in the way of God's mission. And let me tell you, we have a challenge here because we call ourselves a three-stream church. We're charismatic, evangelical, and sacramental. And that's just weird, okay, <laughs> to try to do that. What it means is we run the risk of everybody being disappointed. And I'm serious. 
we run the risk of everybody in here being disappointed because we have, we have charismatics. And I would put myself in that group. Charismatics who long for freedom of the Spirit to move in our midst, more expressiveness in worship, operation of all the spiritual gifts when we gather. We have evangelicals here, and I'd put myself in that group who want more scripture. You want longer sermons, don't you? Longer <laughs> sermons. <laughs> altar calls, maybe. Yes. You want altar calls. And we have people who would put themselves in the sacramental camp. And what they long for is more ceremony, the beauty of worship, vestments, and furnishings. <laughs> more robust liturgy. None of this is bad. All of it is good. All of it is good. We want it all, right? But here's the thing I want to say to you. If you only care about your thing, whatever it is, if you only care about the ministry that you are involved in, those things that come easiest to you, those things that appeal to you the most, the things that we can do best, if you only care about those things that you value the highest and you try to make that the mission of the church, or your mission becomes making Church of the Apostles more like fill in the blank, if you do that, rather than seeing those things as secondary to the one mission that God himself has given us, you see how easy it is for things to get sideways? What's the thing for you? What is the thing? Jesus says there's only one thing. There's only one thing that's of prime importance. The only way that a church like ours can move forward is if it is unified around the mission of God. There's no other way. We'll just be spinning our wheels otherwise. And, and I see my role primarily to hold the church accountable to God's mission. The one mission that he's given us. God didn't place us here to recapture the past. He didn't place us here to stay comfortable with the people that we know and that we love who are already with us. He's called us to something different. He's called us to go. One of the beautiful things about this church, the most beautiful quality, I think, is that we are a close-knit family. And we discerned this as my wife and I were praying about where the Lord would have us go. We discerned this very early on about you, that you are a family. And, and my wife said at some point in the process, she said, I don't want a partnership. I want a family. And that's one of the reasons why we're here. And although we're new, I know that you've had to endure a ton over the years. You've had to go through so much. And the Lord's brought you through it all. Amen? Amen. Yes. But candidly, let me just say to you, I think that adversity, in some respects, has caused us to close ranks. Are you familiar with that term, to close ranks? It means to come together, to unite, in order to defend common interests. And you've had to do that. You've had to. You've had to do that. And yet, Jesus reminds us that we are not defensive people. 
It's not our God-given nature. We don't play on defense. To be in the kingdom, to be on God's team, is to be on offense, not on defense. We advance. We don't retreat. We don't close ranks. We don't exist for ourselves. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. It's amazing how other-centered Paul is. And if we have the same mindset, it means that things are going to change. Things have to change. Perhaps more than any of us even know this morning. It means that we adopt a posture where we are willing to embrace a new identity, to empower new leaders, to get on the same side of the rope and pull in the same direction and go after the same goal in order to reach new people for Jesus. And I'll tell you, our response to changes will reveal what we're in this for. Our response to change will reveal what we are really in this for. We're not solely trying to win converts. We want to see people follow Jesus. We want followers. Those who radiate the glory of God in and through their lives. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to be. The last part of the Great Commission, Jesus says, make disciples by teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's a call for each of us. We're people of the book, in other words. We're a Bible-teaching church. It's foundational to who we are. We're people who want to be saturated in the Word of God and want to share that Word with those around us. It's a tall order. But I want you to see this, okay? There's a lot thrown at you, a lot thrown at me in those four verses or five verses, okay? But here, here's what I want to close with. Notice the bookends. Notice the bookends of the passage, Okay, the bookends are everything. They're what hold up our mission. They're what keep it in place. Verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Fact. Verse 20, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Promise. Therefore, because I have your front and I have your back. Therefore, you go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. God's mission accomplished through his church. You see, Jesus is the great missionary. He's the missionary, not us. Our work begins and ends with him. He is all we need. He gives us his spirit and he says, now you go. Even, look at verse 17 even in the midst of our fear and our doubt. Let me read verse 17 to you. And when the disciples saw Jesus, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Did you catch that when Reverend Patty read the gospel? But some doubted. How can you doubt? 
You have the resurrected Christ standing before you on the mountain. How can you doubt? Oh, goodness, do we doubt. Oh, goodness, are we fearful. It's startling, isn't it? But it's true. The Christian life does not come easy. There's nothing about it that's easy. It's often not enjoyable. We're not naturally gifted at the task that we've been given. And yet, it's clear what the task is. But we have these bookends to hold us up. We have Jesus himself to hold us up. It's one mission, one promise, one goal, that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is what we want. This is what we live for. This is what the people around us desperately need. This is what Jesus deserves. Do you know he deserves to have his house full? He deserves it. If anyone deserves it, it's him. And we're his instruments. John 9 tells us that we must work the works of him who sent us while it is day. For night is coming when no one can work. We can be a busy church. We can fill the calendar. But busyness does not equal advancement. But you might remember from early January, when we know the mission, it establishes our message and it dictates our movements. And that, my friends, is when the kingdom of God will advance in this place and the glory of the Lord will radiate in Fairfax and beyond. That's when it happens. May it be so, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You've been listening to Mercy For You with Pastor Nick Brownschneider. To learn more about our church, go to churchoftheapostles.org.